0: So this first catechism here, which was the second one on last week's, but I rotated it up a little bit. Uh, The question is, why can't any of our good works be a part of our righteousness before God? Now this is approaching something that is still kind of a tough question for a lot of people today. Uh, Maybe you know the answer off the top of your head, but not everybody does. And we need to be able to articulate this. Um, And we need to have this refreshed in our own spirits, because even though we might know the answer to this question in our own words, um, still as life goes on, as we deal with things, as we take life by the horns and make things happen, sometimes we often lose faith. We often forget faith. We're just like, you know what, I make stuff happen. What is it that I have to acknowledge God in? In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. If we forget to acknowledge God because our faith gets funneled back into the things that are in front of me, the things that I am doing, the things that I am controlling with my own hands, with my own mind, with my own abilities. So this subject of faith is always going to be good for us. And we often in our religious pursuits, will, uh, begun, we naturally tend to think, well, I'm doing this right, so God is more happy with me. I'm doing something right, so God is more pleased with me than so-and-so over here who isn't doing this right. So, we have to ask, continually ask the question, why can't any of our good works be a part of our righteousness before God? Because we often like to take solace in the idea that if I'm doing something right, then I have to ha- that has to have some merit with God. It has to ha- that has to you know, offer up good vibes or something. Brownie points. But from Scripture, we will see that it's not the case. So the question, I'll read the question one more time, and we'll read the answer together. Why can't any of our good works be a part of our righteousness before God? Because the righteousness which can stand before the judgment seat of God must be perfect throughout and entirely conformable to the divine law. But even our best works are imperfect and defiled with sin. Any thoughts come to your mind before we get into these scriptures? Anything that you've seen in that, in that um, answer that pops a thought into your head? Or a question? Strikes you strangely?
1: Well, look. Scripture verse
0: that comes to mind. It's not, worse, it's not a moment, so. yeah Right. So if we're boasting <laughs>
1: So there's several places it
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: it's that's uh,
0: not works. Right. It's very you know and that's and I don't think we're gonna be looking at that verse in particular, but um, that is one of those verses that deals with this subject that makes it that makes it plain before our eyes. <clears throat> It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So if anybody is looking at their works and boasting, well, then they are operating in a way that does not conform to the gospel. If we're looking at our works, at our abilities, at the things we're doing right, and and boasting about them, then we need some some, uh, retraining by the gospel of God. Look at Galatians 3.10. Who would like to read this verse for us? For All who rely on the works of
1: the law are under a curse, for it is written, "Cursed be every one
0: who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them." Okay, so this, we could keep going, but we have many verses to look at this evening. So this is—it just states it all also plainly. If you're going to rely on the works of the law, If you're going to, therefore, place yourself under the works of the law, my translation says, if you are under, (coughs) for as many as are of the works of the law, that you make your way of life to be following lists of rules and do's and don'ts, and you determine your righteousness based off of how well you are doing. You know, these are my, well, first and foremost, don't we all have our priorities? And everybody kind of has a different priority, like some people prioritize the way I dress, some people prioritize their music. Some people prioritize you know, this. Some people prioritize that. And there's always something that we prioritize that we look, oh man, I'm, I'm doing good here. I'm doing good here. Truly, there's merit in this before God. And everybody's got a different one, right? But if we're talking law, shouldn't we be talking God's law? Because if we're going to be righteous, if we're going to gain merit in God's eyes, shouldn't we be talking about His priorities, the things that He has said, our law? And if we go to that, we also learn, so if we're going to operate by law, okay, if that's how you want to live your life, by law, by lists of rules and do's and don'ts, as far as your meritorious favor before God, well, let's listen to this. If that's the way you want to live, then you have to read this. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. Which are written in the book of the law, to do them. So you may fulfill your priorities, but you're missing over here. You're lacking over here. So, what does it say about you? It's impossible to keep all. The laws. It's also it's impossible to keep it all. And if you're if you miss the mark in one area, what does it say about you? You failed. Cursed are you. Cursed is everyone who doesn't do all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. All the things. So, go back to the question, why can't any of our good works be a part of our righteousness before God? Because as far as gaining righteousness according to the law, it's all or nothing. It's not... Well, believe and do your best, and you'll get some, get some points for that. You'll get some, you know, Chuck E. Cheese tickets for that. You just won't be able to buy as much with your tickets, right? Have you guys ever taken kids to Chuck E. Cheese before? No? It's probably good if you haven't because it's just <laughs> a waste of money. <laughs> My kids love it. We've been there a few times. And, you know, you spend, you know, 20 bucks getting your kids tokens that they go and they can play these different games. And they get tickets based off of how well they do in the game. And you can take those tickets, take it up to the counter, and buy different toys or candies or stuffed animals or whatever. Everything costs different levels. And you can spend 20 bucks on tokens, and your kids could do phenomenally well at these games and get all these tickets. Oh, what can you get? A cheap plastic yo-yo? <laughs> Great glad you did so well at those games and glad I spent 20 bucks so you could get this $2 toy. (coughs) And, uh, you know, in this case here, we can do really well in in a lot of different things and then take our tickets up to God and some people will believe, well, I can get something for it. Maybe not what Apostle Paul got. Maybe not what Mother Teresa got, so to speak, you know. Maybe they could cash in for much bigger prizes. But but I can at least get something. But that's not how it works. God's throne is not a Chuck E. Cheese counter where you just get what you can afford based off of how well you did. (laughs) It's all or nothing. Are you going to keep the law completely and entirely? Or are you going to be cursed because you missed a mark? Philippians 8 and 9, he wants to read this. Philippians
2: 3:8 to 9. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but none, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith.
0: Yeah. So here you see Paul is throwing up his hands and saying, you know what, everything that I've ever done well, every achievement that I've ever had in life, I consider it a loss. I consider it actually as something that's holding me back because it's something that tempts me to boast. You know, and see, that's the, that's the thing. That's why Jesus says rarely does a righteous man enter the kingdom of heaven because the rich, the rarely does a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven because the rich man has a lot of stuff to look at and put his faith in. That's not God. And, and Paul here is saying, you know, I, I'm considering everything that I've done in my life. I was a zealous person for God. I may not have been doing it right, but it was good zeal. It was good effort. I was doing something right even though it was misdirected. And then he had all these other good works that he had done since he had been converted. But you know, he says, everything that I've achieved, everything that I've gained, I lay it behind me as much as I turn my back on it as much as I turn my back on refuse. I don't look to it. I don't want it. I don't boast in the refuse in my house. That's silly. Because these things, if I look to them, I'm just going to use them to boast. I'm just going to use them to make myself feel better than the next guy. I'm just going to use them to make myself feel supreme in some way. I'm going to, make, I'm going to use them to feel like I've gained something with God. No, I turn my back on all that. I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of what? What's the one thing he wants to know? To turn his face to? In verse 8. The knowledge of, Christ. The knowledge of Jesus, Christ Jesus my Lord. It's for him. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So that. What's, what's the so that? So that what? At the end of that verse. If you're using the New King James anyway. So that I might win Christ. win Christ. So the implication there is, if I look to these things, these things that I'm good at, these things that I've done well, and if I put my trust in them, if I use them to raise myself up, the implication would be that I lose Christ because I'm placing my faith in something that's not Him. So, Jesus, that's, so that's why Paul is using such strong language here. The rubbish is literally the old word for that four-letter word that we use for poop. It's literally what he's saying here. He's using strong, he doesn't use strong language like this often. Crude words. But here, he finds it a place to do it because he is so passionately in love and in search of Jesus Christ. And he is going to reject to the utmost anything that's going to cause him to boast in himself. He's not going to leave, let anything keep him from Jesus Christ. And if we are going to continue, we'd read, we'd see, "...so that I just may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead." You can see the desperation here. All he wants to get is Jesus and he'll, he'll put aside anything in order to get to Him. Namely, all the things that He's done well in the past. Or is doing well now. He's not going to look at those. He's just going to look at Jesus. Isaiah 64. Let's look there. Isaiah 64, 4-7. Somebody would like to read those verses.
1: For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eyes seen any God beside you who acts for the one... Who waits for him? You might, you meet him. Who rejoices and does righteousness? Who remembers you in your ways? <clears throat> you are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we, I see, we all. Verse yes, seven. <clears throat> So We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind. Have taken us away, and there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquity.
0: This is just uh, <coughs> it's it's not really beautiful because it's a picture of our sin, <laughs> but it's, it's very picturesque of us. And he start I, the reason I went all the way back to verse four. Is In the Old Testament, do you know how many times the word faith appears? In the Old Testament, how many times do we read faith? you have any guesses? Two times. Two times the word faith appears in the Old Testament. The Old Testament does not talk about faith. In the New Testament, it talks about it 240 times by name. The Old Testament didn't talk about it. It displayed it didn't talk about faith, it pictured faith. And it did it kind of like this. In verse 4 and 5, we see faith pictured for us. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for Him. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word wait appears very often as a word for faith displaying the concept of faith, some just waiting on God. In fact, Saul himself, when he was about to go into the battle, King Saul, when he was about to go into the battle where he and his sons would die, he still inquired of the Lord to see if he would win the battle. He waited to see what the Lord would say. When the Lord didn't say anything, he went to a medium and raised the spirit of Samuel from the dead, because he wanted to know. He just wanted to know from God. He was relying on God. and waiting is one of those words that depicts faith very often in the Old Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. And he goes on to say, "You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who <coughs> Excuse me, still getting over my cold, who remembers you and your ways. See we see more faith here. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue. Talking about those sinful ways. How does he end that verse? And we need to be saved. Right there we see the cry of faith. I just keep sinning and I can't stop. I need somebody to save me. Verse 6, but we are all... Like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Okay, right there, you see, even the righteous deeds that we're doing, they're not worth anything in regards to getting God <clears throat> to think highly of you. Even the things that you're doing well. <clears throat> then he goes on to display the, this, the, the uh, futility of man. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. I mean, this is poetry at its best. In verse 7, And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. There is no one who calls on your name. He's talking about insincerity. Nobody has stirred himself up so that he might pursue God and attain Him. Why? Because dead things don't live. Dead things don't call after people. We, inside of ourselves, do not have the power to gain God's glimpse. We can't woo God. We don't have the power. It's not within us. Not even with the most righteous of our righteous deeds, we cannot woo God. That's why none of our good works can be part of our righteousness before God. Any questions? Before we move on to the next passage.
1: Now you're talking about in all this righteousness that would lead to or somehow obtain salvation.
0: And the next the question works yeah.
1: of the Christian that God very well with. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. it's true. He
1: works in us, works in us both the will and, to do it and to the dealing is good pleasure. Right. I understand the passages you're looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. In that context. Right, And what then would have stirred us up to live a life that's actually pleasing to God? If we can't stir ourselves up. It's not you and your abilities. You didn't take the spoon and stir it up. <laughs> God did. And that's actually why I included the second question, because the second question down here deals with that more. And I'll read James 2, 5 to 10, and then we'll, I do want to look at this second question real quickly. Because that addresses addresses that a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, we are all the works of your hands. Right, James 2, verses 5 to 10. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? That's why it goes back to this. what I said. Rarely does a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven because few of them have been chosen to be rich in faith. Because very rarely do they actually get their eyes off of their wealth. Verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, which is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But, if you show partiality, you're committing sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So here he's starting with an illustration. You can say you love your neighbor as yourself, but if you are Loving with partiality, then you have transgressed, and you are accountable for the curse of the whole law. So in this, go, this, this is talking about this last phrase in that answer above, but even our best works are imperfect and defiled with sin. Even in keeping a broad general category of righteousness, there's still imperfections in there. There's still boasting, there's still pride, there's still um, partiality in our love. There is still roots of bitterness that that creep up. And even though we would want to do well, still sin follows hard behind us. So even in our most righteous of endeavors, there are still imperfections mixed in with it. <clears throat> How encouraging. <laughs> Right? Hey, you guys are doing a great job. You're all failing. <laughs> but, we must not lose hope. The second question. Let's look at some of these passages. Does having a righteousness that is not our own make men careless and loose? And I want to give, just give you a, just a um, brief statement. I meant to tell you this last week, but the last few weeks, these catechisms have been coming from the Heidelberg Catechism. Previous to that, the, they were coming from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So these kind of have a different vibe if you've caught on to that, because they're commu- just, the communication is, differently, is, is different. So does having a righteousness that is not our own, okay, so we've established that the righteousness that we have must not have been our own doing, it must have been God's doing. So does this fact that having a righteousness that is not our own make us careless and loose? Do we have the right? Do we have, can we feel at ease to kind of not feel bad about our sin? Romans chapter 6, one through 7 Does somebody want to read that? Romans 6, 1-7.
2: not that so many of us as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, and like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For we if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that this with our that our Lord, that our own man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin may be destroyed, that henceforth we should be should not serve sin. See, that, yeah.
0: Number seven, yeah.
2: For he that is dead is freed from
0: sin. So this is saying, can you put this in your own words? He said a lot in that passage. What would you say he's talking about here?
1: Continue in sin because um, it uses the comparison to baptism. Right. So you're a new creature.
0: Right. It's a transformative transaction. And
1: so uh, you won't, could you? Yes, but not. Yeah. (laughs) And not be saved.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's worth saying again. Could you keep sinning? Well, you can make the choice, but you're not going to. Does that mean you're not going to fall? No. But what he is saying here is that when we are when we die to our sin, we're set free from it. The body of the body of death rots away. And he like the baptism, baptism is a picture of your dying to that old self and you're being raised into a new self. And if you're not going to walk into that new self, well, perhaps you've not died to the old self to begin with. Because it's a transformative transaction. You cannot be the same. You cannot keep on with the life that you had before. Cannot. It's not that you could not. Well, it's you will not continue in that old life. You will not. And that's not... Exciting for us to hear when we have a loved one that seems to be continuing on in old patterns, even after a confession is made. I know, I have some loved ones like that, and it's a hard thing to understand. But Paul is clear, and we will see more clarity. John 15, verse 5. John 15, verse 5 to 6. Who would like to read 5 and 6 and verse 16? John 15, 5 to 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that
2: abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned.
0: And then verse 16
2: have chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it
0: you. So we're establishing a couple. Jesus is establishing a couple things here. He's saying, okay, first and foremost, he is the vine from which you get nourishment, you get health, you get growth, and through whom you can actually bear fruit. You cannot bear fruit apart from him. Not the fruits of righteousness that are pleasing to God. So first, you have to be implanted in Christ by faith. Otherwise, your works remain filthy, useless, pointless, meaningless, vain. But once you are implanted into Christ, He then energizes you and nourishes you spiritually so that you can actually bear fruits of true righteousness. And then he also says, without me, you can't do this. You can do nothing without me. Okay? If you don't abide, and he says, if you don't abide in me, you're going to be cast out. You're a false teacher. You're a false believer. If you're not bearing fruit. He says, "Who he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's a fact of Christianity. If you're truly abiding in Christ, implanted in Christ by faith, you will bear fruit. There's no question. It will be there. Everybody's fruit looks a bit different, but it's going to be there nonetheless. And then in verse 16, he says, You know, I chose you. I chose you, and I ordained or appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit. Just like other, 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 <clears throat> uh, elsewhere, he says, You are created unto good works, you're created so that you can bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, then are you, are you attached to the vine? Or are you that which shall be swept away and burned? But that's not the point. The point here is, you will bear fruit of righteousness. It's not that you can just get saved and do whatever you want. You know, I got my ticket to heaven. Good to go. No, you will bear fruit. That's it's just a matter of fact. Matthew 3, 7-10. Who would like to read this? Matthew 3, 7-10. This is John the Baptist speaking.
1: But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers... Who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones.
0: And even
1: now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire.
0: I mean, that's kind of saying the same thing Jesus was saying earlier. Only in this, he's, John the Baptist is telling them, you know what, Pharisees? Who, who warned you to flee the wrath? Why are you here? Why are you listening to the great prophet? You need to go bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. Because your ways are carnal. So you need to start bearing fruits that show that you've actually repented from your sins. And don't think to say to yourselves that you're, hey, I'm a Jew, God accepts me. Just like some of us might say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Catholic, I'm a whatever. I go to church, God, God must accept me. <laughs> I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. You're not special because you go to church, because you're part of a particular grouping these people were not special. Even though the Old Testament would say, if you're Jews, then you're God's chosen people. You're God's special people. But he's saying, God's able to raise up children from, to Abraham from these stones. Just because you're one of these people doesn't make you special. These rock could be special. What? Yeah, exactly. And that's why, Abraham, and that's why I just... Right, and that's what, I, I wish we had, a, we had John the Baptist's sermons. I just would have loved to hear his preaching. Because from what we do see, he was just a fireball. telling people what they, Not pulling punches. Telling people what they needed to hear. And these people, these Jews, were taking pride in the fact that they were Abraham's kids. They were, they were of the bloodline. You say, no. Nope, these stones could be just as good. And he said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that's not bearing good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown to the fire. <laughs> You're gone. You take pride in the fact that you're a Jew and you think that because you're a Jew that you have the faith of Abraham. You don't. You're going to be cut down and cast into the fire. So this
2: would point to the people that said, you know, I believe in Jesus, I've been baptized, I can go do whatever I want. I'm good and happy and here we go. Right, right.
0: That's the place to point to. Right, exactly. Just because you say it, just because you're part of the brotherhood because you made a profession and were baptized... And you partake in communion go to church that doesn't mean I do good. yeah and it's not that we're saved by our works no what it's saying is if you, if you're saved <clears throat> you can't separate your works from your faith you know it's it's hard it, it's uncomfortable to think about these things when we're so adamant about by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Works has nothing to do with your salvation. Which it's partially true, but not entirely true. Works have a lot to do with your salvation, because when you're saved, you're going to be bearing fruit. So your works are connected to your salvation experience.
2: But then it's servitude.
0: Yeah, it's servitude, right. What shall we say, you know, when we've done all that we've done, and... Uh, we stand before the king. We, you know, we've only done what was our duty. <laughs> right? The Bible says, I can't remember the exact verse, but that's our response when the king is taking, rec- taking account. We've only done what was our duty to do. You know, and then we will honor the king. <laughs> honor to the king. So it is service. It's, humili- it's done in humility. It's not done trying to appease a wrathful God. And the Jesus did yeah,
1: that. Jesus did that for us.
0: Yeah, right. I
1: always pleased the
0: Father. He said, Yeah, right. We can't say that. He kept the law perfectly in every way, shape, and form. He actually loved his neighbor as himself. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. He's beautiful. And he appeased the wrath of God on our behalf because we could not do it. And that's why he's the vine. We're not. The church isn't the vine. He's the vine. We're not perfect because we are integrated into the church and we get involved in the ministries. No, we are, we are we bear fruit because we're connected to Jesus Christ, because He's the vine. We're a branch off of Him. In this last passage, Galatians chapter five, I'll go ahead and read this one. <coughs> Galatians five nineteen to twenty five says, "Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery." Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why do you think he would say that those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God? It's connected with what we're talking about.
2: You can say all you want, but your behavior is the fruit and the
0: pudding. Yeah, exactly. You shall know them by their fruits, Jesus says elsewhere. And that's another passage we could have read, but we don't have time for that. These are the things that are associated with the old dead life that is cast away once you are engrafted into the the vine. And then he goes and gives the other side. Verse 22, but... The fruit, okay, this is the stuff that you should be bearing, that you should be abounding in. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christs have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay? So if you want a practical list to hang on your wall to see Man. Yeah. I mean, if you want I mean, this isn't the law, but if there's something that you want to look to, look at this. I'm just not a, I'm just not naturally a very kind person. <laughs> Well, you are now if you're a true believer because <laughs> you're engrafted to the one who is all kind. Well, I'm just not very patient. Well, <laughs> you should be if you're truly engrafted in the one who is all patient. Well, I just, I, just have a, I, just, I just don't have any self-control, do I? Well, all the old things are passed away, are they not? Not that we don't struggle, we all have our struggles, okay? But we should be radically different than the world around us in regards to all of these things. We're supposed to be bearing the fruits of righteousness. This stuff should be flowing through us. If the world is going to look at us and see there's something different, then it should be according to these things. Not very gentle, just a harsh person. Well... Maybe we need to talk about that, because look at this—it's a fruit of the spirit, and we're told to cast off the old flesh that's been crucified and put on, and walk in the spirit. I mean, that's this is the life that we're living, and we have to. And you know what? I pray this—I have been praying this prayer because I see failures in my own life, and I have been praying this prayer that God. You have to transform me because this is something that only comes from you. If it's going to make any difference whatsoever in anything for the, for, the, for the cause of Christ, then this transformation has to come from you. It has to come straight from you. I don't want to be in control of this lest I boast. All of this has to come from you, Lord. And you know what I see, God, working effectually in the things that I pray for in regards to His glory. And that's kind of how you pray for it in God's glory so that he might be magnified in all things not that I might accomplish something so that I might boast so that I might look to my accomplishment to the things that I've overcome and all of a sudden think of myself as such a good Christian man look at all the things that I've overcome no but it comes straight when we truly believe it comes straight from above and we pray that it will come straight from above so that God will be magnified and so that I will have nothing just like Paul, so that I can have nothing that I can look at than which I can boast, because I know that anything that's worth anything at all comes from him. Any questions or comments before we close? In
2: that verse 21, it says, who practiced such things, is that like making a, just a way of life, or, because we're still going to sin. Mm-hmm. Was, if the difference
0: in practicing and... and that's my and that's my understanding of the word I haven't I didn't look at the Greek text to see what the structure of it was, but that's been my understanding of what that means is that that's your continual way of living is that you're all of these things are constantly popping up in your life and dragging you down not that you're always killing people not that you're you know always picking fights not that you're always hating somebody, another you know, are always practicing sorcery, you know. but a mixture of all of these things is always part of your life. It should not be that way. And some people are always hateful. Some people are always <coughs> jealous and fighting and um, selfish, have self, walking according to their selfish ambitions. Some people are always causing strife. They're always causing people to separate. You know? That shouldn't be our way of life. Those are things that are past. Because we are causing unity, that's the way of Christ. We're always causing unity. That's what we're trying to do. Anything that's here, there's there's an opposite. And
2: the other thing, the last couple of days, I've been focusing um, for myself
0: mm-hmm.
2: is the difference between the fruit of the spirit and fruit of righteousness. Yeah. Which these are, and I've never like separated it out before. But there's Philippians one. I think there's. In Hebrew, that I'm not finding my Hebrew. But Philippians 11 have been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Mm-hmm. So there's more fruit, other, because yeah. always conceptualize conceptualized fruits of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, now there's fruit of righteousness. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you know, they're <laughs> not. Like what we've yeah. been talking about. Right. And I don't think they're too distinct. The fruits of the spirit have a lot of categories of righteous acts that follow flow from them too. Like the fruit of the spirit being love, <laughs> well, that bears a lot of fruit <laughs> when you have true love within you. You know, the <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, just you can look at each one of these and you could see a list just unfolding in your mind of what can come from those things. And all of But you must keep in mind that this is a fruit of the spirit. That means it's something that's born from the spirit's work in you, right? It's not something that you go and have a twelve-step program, right? You don't grab these by the horns and say, "I'm going to love today," you know? No, these come from the spirit. We must rely on Him. Therefore, we have nothing to boast of. And Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. Anything else? All right.